from home, I'm Mariah Humiston, and this is the Daily Orange Podcast. Today, college and coronavirus. From classes to clubs, what does the semester ahead look like for Syracuse students? And Syracuse Sports Unmasked, the impact of COVID on the season. It's Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. Due to COVID-19, this semester is going to look very different from past semesters, with some students electing to take classes fully online and others choosing to be on campus. Whichever option students choose, the realities of life during a pandemic are undoubtedly going to impact their education. I'm Chris Eppensteel, and I'm the news editor for The Daily Orange. Can you break down some of the biggest differences in how Syracuse is conducting classes this semester? SU, in response to the coronavirus pandemic, has adopted the same model a lot of other colleges have, which is this hybrid model. Basically, the goal is to reduce at any given time the number of students who are physically in a classroom and and by that process, reducing the number of students who could transmit COVID-19 to one another. What this looks like in practice is that currently, For any given class an SU student has, if that class does have an in-person component, they might only attend the in-person version of that class half the time with alternating days with students one day attending online and one day attending virtually. How exactly that works out, we have yet to see because classes have not started. For large classes, there won't even be an in-person component. We'll see sort of a return to the fully online class style we all dealt with last spring, with the exception of maybe supplemental recitation or discussion sections. So in general, it's just going to be an ongoing effort to reduce the number of students in a classroom at a given time. And so with this new hybrid or all online classes, how can students still stay engaged even when social distancing? So what Maggie heard from her discussions with employees at the Center for Learning and Student Success and the Writing Center was simply that students now, rather than being engaged by the professors, now have to actively engage themselves in their classes using what virtual resources they have, whether that's a chat feature on an online lecture to ask questions and stay engaged. It could be something simply as actually turning on your camera, so you're required to sort of look like you're paying attention during lectures. And then for in-person classes that are now much more spread out and might not function as much as a discussion section as they had in previous years, the advice we heard was simply to be patient, be willing to try something new and something unfamiliar, and trying to sort of embrace the chaos in a way, trying to make the best of the situation. What are some of the possible issues with maintaining good study habits with this new system? And what has the Center for Learning and Student Success, otherwise known as CLASS, recommended as possible solutions? I think one of the biggest challenge in terms of maintaining good study habits is just the fact that time management is really more of a concern for everybody right now. Now, with a lot of classes being recorded and students being free to watch classes whenever they wish, wherever they wish, students sort of have to take the initiative to attend those classes without having anyone compel them to attend. You know, now they actually have to find a way not only to balance when they're going to do their assignments and 
when they're going to find that that work-life balance, they're also going to have to actually take the time to attend classes, given that's no longer a set thing, especially when students are at home and they're obviously surrounded by distractions and family and friends. So that, I think, is probably one of the biggest concerns that was addressed for us. One of the things class recommended and all the sort of academic support employees Maggie spoke to really recommended that students be diligent in creating a schedule for themselves and sticking to it. In the place of having these set schedules where we're all attending physical classes and we know where we're going and what we're doing at each point of the day, the university said that you really have to keep track of that for yourself, devise your own schedule and sort of organize your own time so that you can keep on top of all your classes and virtual lectures and assignments and everything else. And now on campus, one of my favorite places to study is Bird Library. Can students enter the libraries on campus? How is that going to work this semester? Students can still enter libraries, but it's at limited hours, as we know right now. Buildings are only open with card swipe access. Seating is going to be very much spaced out and reduced in order to prevent a ton of density in those buildings, preventing them from sort of becoming places where coronavirus might spread. So students might find that those study spaces are going to book up quickly, and they might have to find some alternatives on the fly. And we touched on this earlier, but what are some resources on campus that can help students who are struggling with this transition? Sure. So the Center for Learning and Student Success and the Writing Center both offer academic support services to students, whether that's tutoring or writing coaching or workshops or one-on-one meetings. The other thing that I think a lot of students forget is that office hours and professor availability is still going to continue despite the pandemic. So students can still reach out to whether that's peer facilitators or graduate students, TAs overseeing their classes or the professors themselves. They can still reach out to people leading their classes to get additional help, get advice, get guidance, even if it might not look the same as before. So we've talked about how students can stay engaged during this semester, but it's also important for students to know about some of the new procedures that are also going to be happening this semester. What will SU's testing policy for COVID-19 look like? So testing has been, I think, from the very beginning at the center of SU's coronavirus response they made it clear to us back back in early summer, really, that us having the ability to test students would be a huge part of us being able to return to campus. And SU has certainly, you know, made good on that promise. They've implemented a very expansive testing protocol. As most students already know, there's a pre-arrival test that students have to receive a negative screening for COVID-19 before even arriving on campus. They have to complete it within 10 days of their scheduled move-in date for an on-campus students. There will be pooled testing once students actually do arrive on campus, pooled testing being the collecting of samples from a group of 20 or so students, more or less mixing those samples together and then testing them as one batch so they can determine whether the pool or that group has one student or more who has coronavirus. And this is more or less to conserve testing so the university can identify within groups of people where the coronavirus might be so they can then test all those individuals. And that will happen within the first few days or weeks of campus. We'll see the results from that pooled testing come in probably towards the end of the first week of class. But pooled testing and various individualized testing will continue throughout the entire semester as SU tracks the virus across campus if it does emerge and just monitors for it in different communities. There will also be 
testing of university wastewater, which with wastewater from dorms and certain academic buildings and even some of SU's surrounding neighborhoods being tested, I think, bi-weekly for traces of the virus, just to monitor the virus spread across location, you know, physically. And so what happens if a student, staff, or faculty member does contract COVID-19? So if a student or faculty member does contract COVID-19, the university would immediately, one way or another, move that person into isolation or do their best to simply get them off the SU campus and prevent them from spreading the virus. For students, that means you are put into isolation housing at the Sheraton University Hotel. The Sheraton has been reserved by Syracuse, or at least several, I think, a hundred rooms of it were reserved as isolation housing to hold students who test positive for the coronavirus and keep them sequestered from the rest of campus. Students would live there until they go, I think, 14, a few days without showing symptoms, without a test, and until I think they receive an actual negative coronavirus test to confirm they no longer have the virus. For faculty, it just means they would isolate in their own homes, not come to campus, continue teaching if they are able, and if not, the university would develop some contingency plans in that event. But that really isn't even the beginning of what would happen if a student tests positive. There's also a massive network of contact tracing that would immediately kick into gear upon someone testing positive after that student is relocated and taken away from the general Syracuse you know, student population. The university's contact tracing team, which encompasses largely undergraduate students who got contact tracing experience over the summer, they would immediately begin reaching out to individuals identified as people that infected students had close contact with and thus, you know, presented an exposure risk for the coronavirus. Those students would be contacted and quickly relocated to quarantine housing, which is also in the Sheraton, but is different from isolation housing in that quarantine is just for students who might have the virus. Isolation housing is for students who definitely have the virus. Those students would be housed there for 10 to 14 days where they'd self-monitor for symptoms and see, you know, if any did materialize. So that is the basics of what SU would do if there's a confirmed coronavirus case on campus. We've already seen actually some confirmed cases among students, but they were over the summer or away from campus. So we have yet to see what the exact response looks like if there were an actual case on campus during the semester. And so what social distancing guidelines will students be expected to follow this semester? So earlier this summer, SU released what it called its Stay Safe Pledge, which is sort of misleading because you don't actually sign the pledge. It's mostly just an extension of the SU Student Code of Conduct that encompasses the expected behaviors or expected you know, public health behaviors of any SU student coming to campus this fall. This includes very basic stuff like wearing a mask while in public, not hosting massive parties, being fully honest with the university's contact tracing procedures, getting a flu shot when it becomes available so no one's getting confused for having the flu instead of having coronavirus. And also another big one is not traveling outside the central New York area, which can pose difficulties for students who are used to visiting family during the semester. And all these rules together, SU is hoping, will deter students from engaging in behaviors that would put the university at risk of an outbreak. And the university has already said several times that cases related to public health or violations of the Stay Safe Pledge would be expedited through the conduct process, meaning that the university wouldn't go through a very long series of appeals if a student were caught seriously breaking one of these rules. They'd likely receive consequences rather quickly.
And we've already seen that those consequences can be quite severe during an on-campus quarantine period for incoming first-year and transfer students. Several students were placed on interim suspension for violating the terms of quarantine. And SU has said that students who commit more egregious acts that put the university at risk of coronavirus, for example, if someone were to host a very large party, that those students could face suspension or even expulsion for those behaviors. And finally, what advice would you give to a freshman who has to deal with both adjusting to collegiate academics and to the confusing and stressful now reality of attending college during a pandemic? I'm not sure there's much advice any of us can give because I think advice comes from experience and none of us have experience going to college during the middle of a national crisis. Whether or not it's at Syracuse or colleges across the country, every college student right now is a test subject in a bunch of different experiments running simultaneously in pandemic management in a higher education environment. And Syracuse is just one of those experiments. So I think the only advice we can give is to tell students coming into college to just be adaptable, be ready for things to change at a moment's notice. We've heard from the university that we should be prepared to leave within a few days or hours if need be. So I think the best we can do is to tell them to be prepared for whatever can happen. Chris Hippensteel is the news editor for The Daily Orange. To read more of this great reporting, go to the news section of The Daily Orange's orientation guide. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. For a lot of people, college is as much about learning as it is about forming connections and making friends. This year, that ability to socialize has more hurdles than ever as coronavirus social distancing measures changes how clubs, organizations, and Greek life function. I'm Mandy Kranak, and I'm the culture editor at The Daily Orange. Mandy, can you break down the rules on social activities and events this semester at Syracuse? Yeah, so the SU Stay Safe Pledge requires students to limit gatherings to 25 people, as well as practice social distancing. And so obviously these rules are going to be a challenge for all large campus organizations, but performance-based organizations particularly have some issues with socially distant operations. Can you tell us about what those issues are and what those organizations are going to look like this semester? Yeah, so some organizations, particularly performance-based ones, such as first-year players or Autothon, won't be able to hold large gatherings, and this can make it hard to hold rehearsals or auditions for dance groups, such as DanceWorks. So they're still kind of navigating how they will go about this, but some of the organizations are predicting that they will have a lot of these events be switch to virtual formats. And so you mentioned the performance group first year players, and they say that although they enjoy performing, their organization is much more than that. Can you tell me what they mean by this? So first year players puts on a production where all the cast, crew, and pit members are first year and transfer students, and then upperclassmen produce the production. But members of the group say that they've found their home and their family in this group. 
And like performance-based groups, event-based organizations like University Union, and they're also having to adapt to this. What do you know about what they are doing to adapt to this new normal? University Union has hosted virtual concerts, including two over the summer, with DJ K. Trinata as well as King Princess. And recently they announced that Smino will perform a virtual concert on August 22nd as part of SU's Welcome Week, too. And how are these organization and club leaders feeling about taking on all these challenges of this semester? They seem pretty ready to take on the challenge, even though it is very different and there are a lot of restrictions. But Trevor DeLello from FYP said that they're ready to embrace the challenges and try to do everything they can to make this semester work. And now these challenges aren't just for clubs and organizations. Another group that is facing these challenges is Greek life. What is Greek life going to look like when returning to Syracuse this semester? So because of the restrictions as to the number of people allowed at gatherings and also the stipulation to practice social distancing, large parties won't be allowed, which large parties have been commonplace in Greek life in the past, but due to the Stay Safe Pledge, that won't be allowed. And in addition to that, some Greek life events will be held virtually. Some Greek life organizations will hold their chapter meetings virtually, as well as sororities might hold some sisterhood events too. And additionally, chapters can't host registered social events at chapter houses and restrictions will apply to entrance to the chapter houses. So only students who live in the houses or have meal plans through the chapter house will be allowed to enter the house. And so for this story, you spoke with several students in Greek life that are going to be impacted by this and that are definitely going to have to adapt this semester to all of these changes. How are they feeling about these changes? Some of the students are nervous that SU students won't comply with the guidelines, which could potentially lead to an outbreak. Adrian Morales, who is a member of Delta, 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 said that while she trusts Syracuse's plan, she worries that students might not do the best job at following through and doing their part with it. And now this happened earlier in April with the fraternity ZBT, but what happens if students are found hosting large parties and they're found not complying to these rules? So students who are found responsible for violating the safe safe pledge in the form of hosting parties are subject to suspension or expulsion under the sanctioning guidelines. And now you spoke to some professors at Falk College of Sport and Human Dynamics and were talking about the difficulty of hosting these socially distant events that a lot of these organizations in Greek life culture are planning on doing. What are some of the issues about these new events that they told you about? Yeah, so Professor David Larson, who's a professor of public health, in Falk College said that the two main risk factors are increasing the potential of coronavirus transmission itself, as well as overwhelming the contact tracing team. And going a little bit further, Professor Brittany Kamush, who's an assistant professor of public health in Falk, said that socially distanced parties would be hard to host because if there's food at the party, 
any partygoers would have to take off their masks to eat, and they also may touch the same surfaces as others, and they might consume substances such as alcohol that could impair judgment. And she said this could essentially lead to a recipe for disaster. So despite all of these new challenges and guidelines, if students want to get involved this semester at Syracuse University, where should they look first? Yeah, students who want to get involved at Syracuse University should look on a website called CUSE Activities, and that will have contact information of leaders of organizations, as well as some information about those organizations and what they do on campus. And finally, what did students say was important when choosing what campus organizations to get involved in? Yeah, so students were looking for organizations that could serve as a home for them and a place where they could meet other people who share a lot of the creativity and passions that they have. Mandy Cranach is the culture editor for The Daily Orange. To read more of this great reporting, go to the culture section of The Daily Orange's orientation guide. Mandy, thank you so much for all of your very helpful information. Thank you for having me. Today, we are going to do something a little different for the Daily Orange podcast. We are handing over the mic to another podcast out of our newsroom, the DO Sportscast. The Sportscast went through a much-needed revamp and has a new host, KJ Edelman. We are excited to share a section of our most recent episode of the DO Sportscast on COVID's impact on sports. Hard to imagine life before this pandemic. But try to think back to March 11th, the night most people realized COVID-19 would soon encapsulate the United States. If you remember correctly, it came during a basketball game. Rudy Gobert is a member of the Utah Jazz. He's an all-star center. Moments before a then-meaningless regular season matchup between two Western Conference foes, both the Jazz and the Thunder were ushered off the court. Gobert had tested positive for a virus only people had read about then. The NBA game was canceled. Hours later, the season stopped. Two days after that, sports took a backseat to the world. With COVID cases still rising in the United States, it's weird to tell you sports are not an afterthought anymore. Communities crushed by a previously undetected virus said sports could return, and they will. There's been critics, there's been success stories in the pros, and inevitably, there's been failure. It's August, and we don't have a definitive answer here at Syracuse University yet. There were scheduled releases, slating seasons to begin September 7th. Then, SU football players reportedly sat out practice, asking the university to up its protocols. The Big Ten postponed their season Monday. Then, the Pac-12 followed. It's unclear how long colleges can support a fall season, but the ACC plans to continue its games. Life will not be normal, and sports will not be normal, but it's their plan, as of now. To learn how sports can succeed in this new climate, we're joined by USA Today national basketball writer Merck Medina, who's lived through the NBA's success story of its bubble model as one of the few members of the media inside. The Athletics' Matthew Gutierrez tells us when we can expect games to be in the Carrier Dome again and how Syracuse football and basketball are handling the adjustments. Lastly, the Daily Orange sports editor Andrew Crane spoke with me about his plans running a section with more question marks than answers. 
I'm KJ Edelman. This is the Daily Orange Sportscast. Our next guest is usually reporting down the block from 230 Euclid Ave, the home of the Daily Orange. Matthew Gutierrez has the latest on Syracuse football and basketball. Hey, Matthew, how are you? KJ, great to touch base here. Is there a more striking interview you've done with someone about like the future of college sports in the pandemic? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Probably a couple things. Mostly people outside of sports, though. We, we ran a piece in June on basically the college sports return and people being at greater risk, you know, with notably um, some coaches above 65, some, some players who might have asthma or other situations that they could be, you know, compromised. And we've spoken with a few infectious disease experts and, and some doctors. Uh, and I think those conversations resonated the most. That was back in, I think, late May, early June, before athletes returned to campus, right on the verge there. At the time, cases were, I think, heading in a they were pretty good shape, right, nationally. And the infectious disease experts were still very, very cautious about reopening too soon, people not wearing masks, politicizing the mask issue was a big concern of theirs, and it should just be universal, right, mask wearing. And, and they, they expressed concern, that was back in May, of either just this elongated first wave or possibility of a second wave in the fall. And unfortunately, they, they were pretty much spot on, right, here we are. And a lot of regions of the U.S. are in really difficult situations, partly for, you know, for a number of reasons, but they, they predicted that. And they expressed real concern for life and sports returning too soon and if they're going to do it safely. But they were just really uh, not optimistic about college sports, just given the college environment being a, a real challenge right now to have students back. And then when you don't have a bubble, it's going to be really challenging to, to keep men, men and women healthy and safe. Um, the coaches too, and the and the staff that are might not be twenty year old healthy people, right? There could be forty, fifty, sixty year old on staff. So, those were the interviews that stood out, man. I mean, just how much concern these these experts had, and that was a couple months ago. What have you been hearing about the specifics of a return of Syracuse football? Not a whole lot. Wish we knew more right now. I think in May it was May, even April. You know, I said, you know what? In June, we'll have answers. In July, we'll have answers, <laughs> and here we are. School's about to start pretty much everywhere in the country. Most most are going back, right? I think about half of, over half of schools are going to have in-person instruction, plan to have sports, the fall you know, ACC schedule was released. And we still don't know a whole lot with the virus, with safety. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot as far as workouts. The basketball team has been working out with masks all the time, even during shooting drills and, and team lifts and conditioning. Same with football. To see football starting in mid-September sounds like a long shot. I think we'll get hopefully more clarity in the next couple of weeks. It might just be one of those things where, you know, one team has positive tests and has to shut down. One team might be okay. There's just definitely a lot of questions. We don't know a whole lot. And again, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you got to, if you're going to visit, you have to quarantine. I mean, as of right now, I don't think a team like, let's just say Florida State, would be able to fly to Syracuse and play, right, without quarantining. And some governors uh, will not give them exemptions like pro sports. So don't want to you know, put a, too much of a damper on it, but it just seems there's a lot that could go wrong. And, and hopefully in the next few weeks, we get some, some more answers, some firm updates. And it's worth noting, too, that the new ACC schedule of Syracuse football that was released has some of those states. 
the Florida States because it is only conference. So do you feel like that's unrealistic? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, it's unrealistic. You know, it could, it could change, right? I don't know what kind of conversations are being had behind the scenes. You know, our governor is going to change their mind if, if things ease up. Certainly Florida is, I think, had a three or four now straight days of record deaths. Numbers look pretty bad there. Really concerning. Do you want, you know, teams spreading it? I know they, they travel on, on charter planes, but there's still points of contact. And, you know, one thing going back to those interviews we talked about with the, the doctors is they said they made a, a real distinction between practice and competition or, or training and competition, right? You can you could do a decent job of quarantining with the team, basketball team as at the Carmelo Center. They basically shuttle between University Village apartments and on the Mellow Center, maybe grab takeout elsewhere. But, you know, hopefully they can stay confined. And then it's a whole other level to compete, travel, go to a new arena come in contact, breathe on other athletes. And that's, that was a real concern of theirs. Uh, so again, to answer your question, yeah, I, I don't know how realistic it would be to have teams traveling all over the place. Do we see a, a thing where a schedule where maybe Syracuse just plays New York and New Jersey schools? You know, maybe, maybe we see that. We just, I, I don't know if we know. And there might be a situation where it's a Thursday, the game's on Saturday. And all of a sudden, it's it's canceled or postponed because of positive cases or an outbreak on the team, like we've seen with Major League Baseball. So, a lot that again, a lot a lot on the radar, a lot of things. It's really a tough situation. Going to the games that are expected to happen in September, you wrote a great story entitled "A Three Step Plan to Reboot Syracuse Football" from former coaches and players. I just saw one of your colleagues at the Athletic project Syracuse at two and eight in their 10-game schedule, which would be its worst year under Dino Babers. Under these circumstances, which Syracuse football team should we expect this year? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, 2-8 and eight might be a little harsh. They have some soft spots in the schedule, right? I mean, outside of Clemson and Notre Dame, there's nobody that's in maybe Louisville that's really going to blow you away. Uh, a lot of these teams are, are in either partial rebuilds or rebuilds of their own or, or have a ton of questions, just like Syracuse. Biggest thing with Cuse is, is just the, you know, the, the new defensive system. And maybe it clicks earlier than we think, but with that type of new system, Coach Dino Babers has said they, they need a little bit of time. And they didn't get that in the spring. With That that was a real setback to not have a lot of spring time with the players to, to kind of work out those kinks. And, and here they are. It's going to be really condensed to get ready for the season with a whole new defensive system. No question the Syracuse defense has really struggled the last few years is as much kind of attention the offense has gotten with whether it's Dungy or, or just a, a up-tempo offense, the defense clearly hasn't held its weight, right? You know, that's why I'm kind of tempered on their expectations. I think 500 would be, uh, 500 ball would be extremely optimistic for Syracuse this season. They probably float somewhere slightly under 500. And going to Basketball, which feels light years away because of how slow time is moving. Um, but you primarily cover basketball. What have people inside the program kind of speculated about the possible return, which pre-pandemic was expected to be around November? People in sports are, are way more optimistic than people in kind of the medical community. You know, probably a number of reasons for that, right? They're competitors. They want to play. You know, Coach Shimbeheim has said he wants to play. Might be in favor of starting the season early. I think that that uh, mindset is prevailing. Some of the players, you know, are a little concerned with starting during a pandemic. You know, they don't want to rush into this. 
that want to take this safely. And they're going to be coming into contact without question with, with you know, non, non-athletes on campus. So if you ask me right now, I'd probably say we're looking at spring for college basketball, no non-conference. Maybe they do a January or February start, like California, I think, is starting in February or March for basketball. I'm just pushing things back until we know more are closer to corralling this, this virus better and hopefully you know, keeping it under control. Yeah, the football team will be a great trial run for that. For sure, yeah. I think we'll learn a lot from, from the football team and what, as far as what happens with testing and positive cases. And this is season even logical, realistic. My first thought when I saw the ACC release the schedule for football, I think yesterday mid-afternoon, was I just take it lightly. I mean, this, is, this could change. This is so fluid. We've already seen a lot of change. Uh, I wouldn't put too much weight into certain dates or this actually happening given uh, what we've talked about here. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you, KJ. Time, time is flying and hopefully we can get together soon, maybe for a cup of coffee, right? Sounds good. A special thank you to Mandy, Chris, and the Sportscast team. Thanks, executive producer and podcast editor, Elizabeth Kama. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and go ahead and tell your friends to do the same. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday. We'll be right back.